You may have heard me say to you before that the vision of Blue Valley Baptist Church is to establish campuses locally and to plant autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028, which is our 50th anniversary. You realize a year ago today, year ago this Sunday, we adopted that overwhelmingly as a vision for our church. Everybody's enthusiastic. I told everybody, you know, we're going to take a break. We're going to celebrate Christmas together. After the first year, we're going to get after it. We did begin to get after it after the first year, make plans, and then, of course, this pandemic hit, and everything just got, kind of got thrown up in the air, and now we're kind of revisiting and circling back to it. The vision's still the same. The circumstances have changed. And what we're doing right now is we are kind of reminding ourselves of why we do this in the first place. So a couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, why multiply? And we learned that the reason that we multiply as a church is because it's a part of God's global mission. Every church exists for a reason other than itself. It exists for God's global mission. Then last week, we asked ourselves the question, okay, then why multiply by campuses? Why, why should we have campuses? And we talked about the idea that it allows us, a campus setting allows us to be able to minister to the needs of a diverse community. Every community has diversity in it, and it allows us to be able to not be a one-size-fits-all approach, but to minister to that diversity. Today, however, we're going to get down to brass tacks, and we're going to ask the most fundamental question, and that is, why plant churches? Why are we in the business of planting autonomous, not Blue Valley branded churches? Let me state the obvious. Blue Valley Baptist Church isn't going to be able to reach Johnson County for Christ by itself. I mean, we're just not. We may like what we do, we may be blessed by what we do, but here's some news. It's a shock to me. It's a shock to my family. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. How about that? I'm not. How we worship is not everybody's deal. Our building even is not what everybody really wants in a, in a worship experience. And so we can't say, well, you know, we don't care about the rest of Johnson County that, that doesn't want to do it exactly like what we do. We can't do that. So for that reason, we're partnering with the North American Mission Board and Nathan Chang, Blue Valley member and church planner through the North American Mission Board to plant Image Fellowship in the spring of next year sometime. Let me state the obvious to you in another way. Blue Valley Baptist Church is not going to be able to reach North America by itself. Sometimes people say, well, why can't we plant uh, a campus in X state or in far off western Kansas or western Nebraska? And the bottom line is it's logistics. I mean, in order for us to be able to stay under one umbrella and provide pastoral care and the accountability that is needed, um, we, we just can't plant churches. And so that for that reason, or plant campuses, and so for that reason... Uh, we are partnering with the North American Mission Board and uh, North American Mission Board church planter Adam Bailey and his wife Brianna, who grew up at Blue Valley Baptist Church, working with him to establish Multiply Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. We can't plant a church in West Des Moines, but, or uh, plant a campus in West Des Moines, but Adam can plant a church and begin to reach that part of Iowa for Christ. Let me say one other thing to you. Blue Valley Baptist Church by itself cannot reach the world by itself. We can't establish campuses all over the world and expect to cross the cultural barriers and the language barriers that are necessary. And so for that reason, we are partnering with uh, Compassion International 
to establish a church, to raise funds, to plant a church in Central or South America sometime in the next 18 to 24 months. So we plant other churches because Blue Valley is not the final answer for Christendom in Johnson County, in North America, and the world. And yes, I would have loved for this to have happened uh, when there wasn't a virus running rampant, and I would have loved for this to happen when uh, the economy wasn't uh, a little shaky. I would have loved for all of that to happen, but the bottom line is this. If we do this now, we're not going to be able to pat ourselves on the back for having done it. If we do this now, we're going to get to the end of this and say to God be the glory, great things he has done, because all of us are goofballs. All of us are held hostage by our circumstances. All of us see obstacles, but God sees an opportunity to make his name great. And we're going to ask the question today then, why do we plant churches? We plant churches for the reasons that we see illustrated in Acts 13 and 14. Would you find Acts 13 in your copy of God's Word, please? A man named Luke compiled the narrative we know as the book of Acts, and he did so according to a very precise plan. He tells the story of the early church using the command of Jesus to those first 120 people who called upon his name, the first church, the first group of Jesus followers of 120. He uses the command of Jesus to that group to be his witnesses to his life and his message in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And you follow the trajectory of the church just like that in the book of Acts. You see the church expand in Jerusalem, and you see the church expand in the region outlying Jerusalem. And then when you get to Acts 13 and 14, the last half of the book, you see the launch point of the ministry of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it all takes place in the church at Antioch, which is a city in modern-day Turkey. Now, the church at Antioch was a special, special church, maybe the most amazing church that any of us have ever heard of. It was the first place where non-Jewish people in mass responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later, it became essentially the birthplace of the modern practice of preaching. How we experienced sermons at Blue Valley was basically developed years, centuries later in the region around Antioch. And it also became a theological anchor for the storms of heresy that raged in the first centuries of Christian history. So it was a terrific church with a bright future even at this point in time. It was growing rapidly. It had a wonderful standing in the community. Acts tells us this. Had leaders that were respected. I mean, literally everything was perfect, but they were about to be reminded that the church is never about its people, but is always, always about the mission of its Savior. I hope you found Acts 13. Would you stand, please, as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning? Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, 
they laid their hands on them and sent them off. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Because our tendency when reading scripture is to kind of bulldoze our way through it rather than linger over it, it's likely that we missed the bolt from the blue for this church that verses 1 through 3 represent. These were shocking events that are detailed for us in the first three verses of Acts 13. Two leaders, two beloved, respected leaders, gone. A new paradigm for ministry, out of the blue, handed down by God and launched. It likely didn't make any sense to these people in the church, but these events clearly show us that when it comes to any church, our church, Blue Valley Baptist Church, it's never about us. It's about God. That's why we plant churches. And these two chapters show us what will happen when we do. First, it shows us that church plants transform churches. Transform churches. This was a dream team of leaders that had been put together by God at the church at Antioch. We already know about the giants, Saul, who becomes Paul in the book of Acts, and Barnabas, and the work that they did. But there are others here who are no slouches. We're told that Simeon, who is called Niger, is one of their leaders. Bible scholars have long surmised that this might be one known as Simon the Cyrene, who is mentioned in the Gospels as having been conscripted to carry the cross of Christ to Calvary. And then there is also mentioned alongside him one who is known as Lucius of Cyrene. Here's what we know about the establishment of the church in Antioch. It was established by men who came preaching the gospel from Cyprus and from Cyrene. Meaning what? Meaning it is very likely that Barnabas, who is from Cyprus, and Simeon, and also Lucius, were founding members of the church. They were people who had invested their lives in making sure the gospel took root in this community. And then we are also told that one named Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, is a part of their leadership. Actually, the Greek of the book of Acts tells us he's something more than that. It tells us he's something like the foster brother of Herod, the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist, the same Herod who would have questioned Jesus the morning of his crucifixion. So he would have been a man who would have been of some cultural standing in the world at large at this point in time, and perhaps as it relates to the church, even been present... When he saw Herod uh, quiz Jesus the morning of his crucifixion. And then rather than look out at the community and say, look at all these leaders. Look at these gifted leaders we have. You all in Antioch come and hear what they have to say. God speaks to this church and says, take the two best you've got and send them out. Well, what happened to the church? Did it all fall apart? I mean, they lost key leaders. Did it all fall apart? No, it didn't fall apart. It didn't fall apart because these leaders had taught them well. They had taught them that it's not about me and it's not about my leadership. It's about the mission. It did not fall apart. And I'm not just guessing. The book of Acts lets us know how much it didn't fall apart. Go to the end of the book of, or of uh, chapter 14. Look at Acts chapter 14, verses 26 through 28, verse 26 essentially says Paul and Barnabas at the end of their journey 
got as far as they felt like they needed to go, and decided to come home. And when they arrive home, verse 27, they arrived and gathered the church together. So the church at Antioch still existed even though they were gone. And they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentile, and they remained no little time with the disciples. They come back. They say, this is what God has done the church is encouraged. They are blown away that they have had a small investment in the advancement of the gospel to other regions. And so what do they do in response? Later on in Acts, they say, go again. And they come back. And then later on, the church says, go again. What happened? Planting churches transformed them. They understood that it's not about us and our programming and everybody being together in our little holy huddle here in Antioch. It's about advancing the kingdom of God. That's what happens when we plant churches. Church plants transform churches. Church plants also transform lives. The record of events in Acts 13 and 14 communicate for us many significant events of lives being utterly changed. The furthest point that Paul and Barnabas reached was the town of Derby, a town which Paul visited with the gospel after he had been forced to leave the previous town. How was he forced to leave? He was stoned by the community and left for dead. That's quite an exit that he received there. But I want you to listen to the brief report that Luke gives of what happened there. Look at verse 21 of Acts 14. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. So he went to Derby. He'd been hit with rocks over and over again, left for dead. He goes to another place. He preaches the same gospel. People are brought to faith in Christ Jesus. They are made disciples. They are made followers of Jesus, apprentices of Christ. Lives are changed. Then they go back, it says, to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, another Antioch, which we'll get to in a minute, strengthening of the souls of the disciples. So what happened? In every place where they went and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, individual members of the human community were moved from death to life. Individual members of the human community moved from, from trapped by sin to being set free by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every place the gospel goes and churches are planted, Individual lives are utterly transformed. In fact, one of the most stunning transformations is given to us in detail at the first stop. The first place that Paul and Barnabas went, we're told in Acts 13, was the island of Cyprus. And while they were there, they came into the acquaintance of a Roman proconsul, which is something like a governor, a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. And by the way, if I ever have a male grandchild, that's my first bet on a name, Sergius Paulus. That would... You know, win friends and influence people. And he began to be intrigued by this message that he was hearing from Paul and Barnabas. But a pagan sorcerer began to try to call the proconsul away, to distract him from hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells him to hush his mouth. I mean, literally. He tells him to hush his mouth. He says, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and the sorcerer could no longer 
speak. What parent would not love that gift, right? And with that distraction removed, Sergius Paulus hears the gospel. Look at verse 12 of Acts 13. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. A man born into pagan religion, a man ensconced in pagan, secularized Roman government, hears the message of the gospel, and his life is forever changed. Paul established churches for the purpose of transforming individual lives. But when individual lives are transformed, it holds true that church plants also transform communities. Here was Paul's plan. This was his ministry plan anytime he went to a new area. He would find a synagogue, and all of these communities more or less had populations of Jews, which meant that they then had synagogues where they would do worship. He would go worship there. He would be asked as a guest to teach there. He would begin to teach about Jesus and him being the Jewish Messiah using the Old Testament scriptures. Jews would begin to respond to Jesus as their Savior through the teaching of Paul, and they would eventually pull off, establish their own thing as a church, and the community would begin to hear the gospel of Christ. In fact, that's exactly what happened at a town called Antioch, not the Antioch they were sent from, towards the end of Acts 13. In Acts 13, verse 43, we're told that after a meeting of the synagogue broke up where Paul had gone at this other town called Antioch to preach Jesus, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. What, what's Luke saying to us? He's saying that when the gospel got preached, individual lives got changed. They, they um, followed Paul and Barnabas who spoke with them and they urged him to continue. We want you to keep telling us about this Jesus. In fact, we want you to tell others about this Jesus. So, verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The entire town, both Jew and Gentile, breaking down an immense cultural barrier came to hear the preaching of the gospel. And as a result, the community began to be transformed as whole households and whole neighborhoods began to move from death to life, from death to sin to being made alive in Christ. That's the reason that we are interested in planting churches internationally using a partnership with Compassion International. The reason all of this came up was because of an invitation by my friend Chad McDonald, who's the pastor at Lenexa Baptist Church, about a year and a half ago, where he asked me if I would join him on a trip to Peru to see a church that Lenexa Baptist Church, through Compassion International, had planted in a small rural community. I went and began to visit some of the households. And a lot of us have never been out of country unless we've gone to some touristy area. But if you leave the touristy areas, you will come and you will find out what, what poverty a good chunk of the world lives in. I remember sitting in a home in this little town, dirt floors, filthy, chickens running through what would be the living room, livestock running through what would be the living room, 
people in the most horrendous conditions trying to eke out some little semblance of a living, living literally hand to mouth. But the reason I was in that home is because a child who had started going to the compassion program at this church that Lenexa had planted had been infected with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had come back and he had infected mom and dad and brothers and sisters with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there in that poverty, I realized I had a brother and sister and family in Christ that I had more in common with in their poverty than I do a lost person living in a mansion in Johnson County. But there's more than just that that was taking place. If you go to these compassion programs in these churches that are planted, you'll see rows and rows of little toothbrushes. Why? Because the children will go there and they'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll be discipled in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But they'll also say, boys and girls, here's how you take care of your teeth. And this is why it makes you healthier long term. And so when they come together, they read their Bible and they brush their teeth. They also talk to them about what's a healthy meal. Here's what it looks like to eat a healthy meal. Here's what it, it's like to identify whether or not the water that you're drinking from is a clean source or an unhealthy source. Here's how you begin to bathe yourself and clothe yourself to take care of yourself. Then in these churches, they begin to reach out to, to, to pregnant women in the community and they say, come to our church and let us talk to you about what it means to engage in, in prenatal health so that the infant mortality rate begins to drop in those communities. They preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lives are changed, but then they begin to live out Jesus in all ways manageable. And not only does the spiritual health of the community go up, the physical health of the community goes up, the emotional health of the community goes up. Church plants transform communities because that is a function of the gospel. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. There's a great book by a man who's now with Jesus named D. James Kennedy called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And chapter by chapter, he goes through what the gospel moving out into the world has done for things like health, what it's done for the rights of women, over and over again. He talks about these kinds of things because the gospel through churches transform in every way possible communities. Which leads us to the normal conclusion. Church plants transform the world. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes biblical authors will write in a, in a structure that would have been obvious to their readers, but we miss. Basically, what they did is they would start at the beginning and they would start at the end and they'd work towards the middle. They'd balance ideas and you can see them work together until they meet in the middle to where like, you know, a treasure map. X marks the spot. Doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot. And Nathan Chang, who is our church planner, as we were going through this passage, highlighted for us that there was an X marks the spot moment for us in Acts 13 and 14. What Luke wants his readers to get is in verses 45 through 49. Here's what it says. But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So the Jews from the synagogue that he had uh, developed converts from began to say, you're taking our people and we don't like it, and they began to attack him. In verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since 
You thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. If you as Jews won't listen, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. What Luke wants us to see here is that it was really on this church planting mission that the gospel for the world began to be understood. That it was for all people, not just for Jews and not just for Gentiles who understood Judaism. It was for the whole entire world. And this makes a world of difference for everybody online or here listening to me right now. Here's why. You're a Gentile. You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And God's plan to get the gospel to us was launched in a church prayer meeting where everything was just fine. When God said, send out your best so that the world can get That's why we plant churches. We plant churches because church planting is God's plan to make disciples of all nations. Our politics are not his plan to change the world as devoted as you may be to them. Our morals, our particular moral pattern isn't his plan to change the world. The gospel is his plan to change the world. And the church is the vehicle that carries that gospel to neighborhood and communities and countries around the world. And for 42 years, Blue Valley has been content to have been started and not start. But to be faithful from this point on will require us to multiply. Do I wish our call to do this had happened a few years ago when a virus wasn't sweeping the world and the economy was better and that people, human beings, wouldn't divide over literally everything? Absolutely. Do I wish that our call to do this had waited a few years from now until the virus hopefully is under control and the economy hopefully has fully recovered and Baptists aren't nearly as cranky. Yes. But here's what I believe. I believe that being obedient now and seeing God bless in a time of trial will show us that the glory was never in these clay pots the clay pot that is Blue Valley Baptist Church. The glory has always been in the message because at the core of the message is the person Jesus. This is why we multiply. This 
is why we plant churches. And today is our opportunity to begin putting feet to that. Today, we are going to give everyone an opportunity, starting online through our website, and then if you're still uh, writing a, a manual check or, or giving cash for your offering to do it by designating it on your envelope, to give to the Multiply 2028 campaign. There will be an opportunity. You can see it in the pull-down if you give online to give there, and then you can designate it on an envelope if you still give that way. The first $250,000 that comes in for the Multiply 2028 campaign will be divided exactly in half. $125,000 of that will be set apart to help us engage our initial multiplication uh, plans and initiatives. They have a minimal amount that's going to be set aside uh, to help um, Image Fellowship get started in Leewood next spring. We have a minimal amount that is set aside in order for us to partner with Multiply Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. There will be some money set aside, hopefully, in helping us be able to engage in a language ministry, uh, an outreach to Hispanic peoples uh, through our Ridgeview campus here in Johnson County, and then a larger amount of that will be set aside for us to be able to plant a church with Compassion International in Central or South America in the next 18 to 24 months at best. Just as a side note, the virus that we have been experiencing in third world poverty-stricken countries has been running unchecked. I talked with our Compassion representative, one community in Peru that Compassion works with, 95% of the people living on top of them had had COVID and they'd had many, many deaths. So we're going to have to wait until that situation calms down, but that's how the money is going to be designated, 125000 of it. The other 125000 of it is going to go to debt retirement. When we get to $250,000 and one penny, all of it goes to debt retirement. And the reason all of it goes to debt retirement is because if we can retire our debt, which is right at $2 million, it's almost a drop below $2 million. In fact, we believe it will by the end of this year. Once that's freed up, we have about $250,000 annually in our budget that's freed up for us to be able to use to fund these things in an ongoing way. So that eight years from today, when we gather together the Sunday before Thanksgiving, God willing, to celebrate the conclusion of this emphasis called Multiply 2028, we'll be able to look back on all that God has done. But I also am hoping it'll be a homecoming of sorts because here's what's happening, folks. I want you to know this. I'm praying for some of you to leave. Not in the way that sometimes I pray for some of you to leave. All right? This is a good way. This is a good way. I'm praying that some of you realize, you know what? It's time for me to get out of the nest. And I can, I can help Nathan. I can help Nathan start that church and you and your family relocate out of Blue Valley to do that that kind of leap of faith, which is a church plant here in Johnson County. Some of you look at your job and you say, you know what, I could, I could do my job in West Des Moines. As long as I got an internet connection, I could do it. I'm going to go up, I'm going to help Adam and Brianna get a church started. There, some of you can say, I can literally do my job anywhere in the world. The northwestern United States and the northeastern United States honestly have a rate of lostness that is comparable to Muslim countries. The southwest United States is exploding because who wouldn't want to live in a place where you never have to shovel sunshine? 
and it's growing at such a pace that the evangelical witness is being outpaced. You could do your job there. And you could either partner with a church plant there or through us, putting you in contact with the North American Mission Board, you can be trained to be that church planter. So that when we get together eight years from today in 2028, we're not only looking at how we've been able to fund these church plants, we're welcoming people back in. And you're telling us stories like Paul and Barnabas of people whose lives have been changed in Portland or, or Boston or in Phoenix or, or there's somewhere around the globe. And we will all say, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Because that's what we're called to do. This is what God has called us to at this time. And so let's throw our backs into it as individuals, laying ourselves before God to let God do what God is longing to do through us for his glory and our blessing. Let's pray.